Yeah, welcome to the Niger Filmmaker, a podcast about Nigerian filmmakers, their films, and how we can build a diverse and functional industry. I'm your host, Selegot. On this episode, my guest is Daniel Oriahi. He is a filmmaker and he has directed Taxi Driver, Koshawa, Sylvia, and a handful of web series and TV movies. We talk about his role at the Ebony Life Creative Academy, his next feature, The Weekend, and how a director should prepare. If you're a new listener, you're welcome and I hope you enjoy. Hi Daniel, you're welcome to the Niger Filmmaker. Hi. Can you introduce yourself? My name is Daniel Riahi. I am a Nigerian filmmaker. Um, I've made some, I've been on the, I've been in the industry for more than a decade now. I've done a series of shorts, uh, equally done feature films like Taxi Driver, Koshao, Sylvia, equally done quite a number of web series and TV movies for different platforms like Ndani TV, Roku TV, Africa Magic. I am currently heading uh, the directing department at uh, Ebony Life Creative Academy, which is based in Lagos State, Nigeria. And I am currently in post-production of a feature film, which I shot with um, a studio which I which equally produced Sylvia in 2016. So I am currently in post-production for that uh, while equally developing a personal project. Okay. Yeah, can you tell us like how you got started in the film industry and filmmaking? So um, for me, I grew up watching a lot of TV. My dad was, uh, my dad recorded a lot of VHS tapes of movies and TV stations based in the, while he was in, while I was, was in Europe in the 80s, and that kind of was like my early foundation and exposure to foreign content. Uh, eventually, I got, I started, my dad was equally working in the company at the time, which was an international company, multinational company, and um, there were so many different nationals in the company, so they had like different satellite channels for people, you know, from different parts of the country. So the way it was connected then, this was in the 90s, so early 90s. So all these houses in the estate were connected to each other. Like you could watch literally, you could put on channel one and have Spanish channel and stuff like that. So that added to my exposure about film and cinema and just media content from different parts of the world. Then I believe when I was 13 years old, I was fortunate to watch a series of um, Steven Spielberg movies, uh, starting from his first film, The Duel, and at the time it ended at Schindler's List. And I was just blown away, mind blown by, you know, his pretty virtuoso. And that was like the first time I was aware of who a director was because, you know, his name kept popping up for all these films. So it was interesting to see one individual who was responsible for different variety of movies from science fiction to you know, just whatever and every other thing that Spielberg is known for. So that kind of informed my first, that was my first conscious decision to want to become a filmmaker at the age of 13 because of this Steven Spielberg exposure. And um, afterwards, I went living my life, stereotypical life. I studied economics at the university. But after I finished my BSc, I was kind of aware that I wanted to go to film school. So I, I told my parents that I was going to film school. I couldn't afford the film school abroad. 
But fortunately, um, someone told me about the uh, National Film Institute JOS. And um, I went there, I did a certificate course originally, which was a four-week course, and I felt like I didn't know anything. So I went back and I did, uh, I went back and I did uh, a diploma course. And still, though my final film, the film, I, the short film I had, my thesis short film, though it uh, won an award and gave me some kind of exposure, I still felt like I didn't know film. Because at the time I was, I, I saw myself gravitating towards wanting to be more like a researcher, like wanting to know more about film history, film theory, film analysis. <clears throat> so fortunately, I mentored under someone for probably two, three years, and it was primarily in uh, photojournalism. But there's an interesting link between photojournalism and, and film. Um, the guy in question was very versatile in film language and film knowledge, and he exposed me to so many films that I hadn't seen. I'd only read books about filmmakers like Akira Kurosawa and stuff like that. I started seeing these movies uh, in my mid-20s, and I didn't understand a lot of them, but I knew that that was what I needed to watch, that was what I needed to do. So I moved to Lagos in 2011, and with all the research and knowledge I had at the time, I knew it was important for me to make a feature film. So in 2013, I made a film called Misfit, a low-budget film, which was about uh, <clears throat> a lady who gets abducted and spends you know, nine months in captivity when she finds out that she's pregnant. Um, it was a very unusual film at the time. It didn't make a lot. It didn't make any money actually. But what it did for me at the time was it was the first film I did. I went to a festival, international festival, and that was um, not good with Paris in 20, 2014. And um, from there, I was able to do a TV movie for Ebony Live, and I did. You know, I just did a lot of stuff. But in 2015, I started, I had already started developing like I wanted to make another feature film, Taxi Driver of Kashao, which was kind of like a homage to Taxi Driver because at the time doing research and all that, I found Martin, Martin Scorsese like like a kindred spirit. Martin Scorsese and so I, I kind of like two different things I liked about filmmakers at the time. So for me, Scorsese, Scorsese was more about his death into the human. Uh, into dark characters, into anti-heroes, so to speak. And he's magnum opus, in my opinion, though he's up for debate, he's taxi driver. And I was just enamored by the film. And uh, I wanted to make a homage to it. So I shot, um, I did the taxi driver of Kashao in 2015. Fortunately, at the time, Filmhouse wanted to start a production outfit besides them being in cinema. So um, I pitched my film, Taxi Driver Okashao, they liked it, and uh, they co-produced it with me and another partner at the time. And we made Taxi Driver Okashao in 2015. And that was great because it kind of was one of those first um, indigenous movies that had appeal, that had like a broader appeal compared to, you know, because the film, I decided that I was going to shoot it in Pigeon, I mean, in um, in um, Yoruba, 
and the original subtitle in Pigeon. So it was a very unique blend at the time. And fortunately, the film did a lot of traveling as well. Uh, it taught a lot of um, festivals as Toronto International Film Festival, uh, some festivals in Europe, and it did a lot of um, educational screening in the United States at um, Yale, Columbia University, and uh, some other major universities, if I can remember now. But that just kind of like opened me up to, you know, the possibility of making films that can really travel, you know, and, and you know, while still trying to maintain a kind of identity, so to speak. But at the same time, I was aware of the fact that, you know, filmmaking is hard and I always feel like you have to do one for yourself and one for the others. The others being the studios, you know, these are the guys that have the money and can fund projects beyond your, you know, but you, you just have to find the right project. Unfortunately, the right project came at the time in 2016, which was uh, Sylvia. It was, produced, it was produced by Trino Studios. And, you know, it was, it was an interesting experience because I myself, I was going through a kind of evolution at the time, which was, okay, I'd grown up watching primarily mainstream American cinema. But because my extensive research or my desire to research, I started exploring European cinema at the time. And I was fascinated by people like Andrei Tarkovsky and Lars von Trier, just guys who, you know, they let the camera do a lot of lingering and transcendental kind of cinema. So I was trying to see how I can fuse that into the way I want to interpret, it, interpret stories for myself. And I found Sylvia an interesting mix because um, it was something I I knew of, or, you know, based on Spirit Wives, which is kind of a peculiar or peculiar narrative in this part. You know, people having spirit wives and dreams wives and stuff like that. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And, you know, being a studio, they were thinking really commercial, not necessarily an art house film. You know, and I was like, so I can fuse that narrative into this thriller genre or psychological thriller and all that. So we mixed that in and we explored making Sylvia at the time. And Sylvia did a bit of you know, traveling as well. It went to BFI. Uh, it went to Nollywood with Paris again, which was my third film going there uh, because Taxi Driver equally went there in 2020, uh, 2016. Yeah. So it was an interesting experience to do that. But after finishing the film, and I'll be honest with you, there was, uh, I think, one of those screenings we did in Paris for Sylvia and I'm sitting down and I'm watching it in this big ass, you know, cinema projection and all that. And I said, this is not cinema. I was like, this isn't, this is not cinema. This doesn't feel cinematic. Something is wrong, you know? And I kind of knew what was wrong. I think at the time, because before I embarked on Sylvia, I had spent eight months doing TV. TV for African magic, you know, and I think that kind of shaped the way I was seeing things visually. So in terms of my composition, in terms of my blocking, in terms of, it felt very clunky for a cinematic film. You know what I mean? It, it, so the film felt very TV-esque in my opinion, 
And I wasn't happy about that, you know. But at the same time, I knew what I wanted to do next needed to be more ambitious, you know, the most ambitious thing that I've embarked on. And at the same time, I was married, or I'm still married, but, you know, I was in the early phase of my marriage, and I had a kid, and reality, you have to take care of your family, your immediate family, and all that. And a lot of opportunities were coming. They were coming. I, I think I wanted to go more entrepreneurial at the time. You know, I wanted to now focus on building my brand, my company brand. So we're doing a lot of work for the company. Um, House Five production, and we're doing a lot of web series, TV movies, because those were consistent jobs. They kept coming, you know, and we did that for quite a while. So making a feature film, like, you know, that travel and, you know, give you that kind of exposure. But at the same time, I felt like I'd been to these places, like I'd been to TIFF, I'd been to Bernal, I'd been to, you know, the US and all these places. And I'm like, okay, this is it. You know what I mean? Like, you go there, your film screens, everybody commends you, great, and all that. Then you come back to your reality, and your reality is you need to do stuff, you need to pay bills, you need to do all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, it's good to have that, you know, international recognition, but you need to make a living. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I focused more on that, and we're making this. And for me, I didn't want to do TV again because of that Sylvia experience. So I was more into doing... Um, what you call it now, TV movies, uh, because the Sylvia experience is more like, you know, how you shoot a sitcom, because the, it was the sitcom experience, eight months of sitcom experience had influenced the way I kind of structured Sylvia. So I felt like rather than doing TV, which is a very regimented structure and all that, let me try... Let me try doing TV movies. And over the, over the years, I became more conscious on how I wanted to, you, you know, my compositions to look like. Even if they were TV movies and we didn't have the kind of budgets or even ambitious stories we were working with at the time, but I was being very, you know, deliberate about how do I compose, you know, composite my shots? How do I do blocking? How do I interact with actors? That was another very big part of my development. Like I've always been big on interacting with actors. And, you know, those, those just kind of informed me for 2019 until 2021. But at the same time, I was developing my feature film, um, uh, which I'm still developing, unfortunately. But, and I wanted it to go, I wanted it to go the route of you know, making the international circuit at the same time having a strong appeal at home. So it had to be a very personal narrative. Uh, it is still, it's, 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 it's a personal narrative. It's kind of social conscious, you know, it's kind of like a commentary of the state of a nation and its people and identity and mix all that into something that has some genre in it. And at the same time, I started discovering the kind of the kind of genres and narratives that I prefer to, to be on, to do. And, and primarily, I, I like the dark narratives. And the reason I like them, I think, because of my upbringing and my experiences growing up, because I was, when you say juvenile delinquent, I was, I was a champion at being a juvenile delinquent in my, in my late and mid to mid twenties, like I had seven a seven year run of everything you can possibly imagine a kid can do, 
but at the same time it leaves you with a lot of scars and traumatic experiences you know and and for me i was like you know this was shapes the kind of filmmaker i am and it was interesting to know that you know a filmmaker is defined by their immediate environment and influences and i was like that's who that's your identity embrace it and go on with it so my films even unconsciously like misfits taxi driver sylvia they all they all had elements of dark characters anti-heroes of some sort and you know narratives that go in a different kind of way besides taxi driver when you know um, film one came on board and they wanted to make it a very commercial venture which i which i succumbed to because i was like you need to you need to find a way to balance the equation between art and commerce you know but the original idea for taxi driver was to be like really dark like everything i wanted to do was like really dark and not horror per se but just elements of you know thriller horror supernatural surrealism you know and i think the whole 2018 to 2021 was a time where i was rediscovering the kind of filmmaker i wanted to become and at the same time, I started developing a feature film. And at the moment, I... So it was, it was, it's either we make the film, because now when you get married and you have all these other responsibilities, you have to know how to prioritize. You know, a film takes time. Film takes time. A good film takes time. It takes years, development, you know, raising funds, shooting, post-production. There's a lot of money and time being invested. But at the same time, we're going through some kind of... Uh, I wouldn't say existential crisis, but in a way, we're going through a kind of social existential crisis, me, me and my family, whereby it was like, do we remain in Nigeria or not? You know, and, and we had those very long discussions about what do we want to do because my daughter is in the arts and we've invested so much in, you know, developing and empowering her as a young artist and just being an environment that is hostile to some extent and equally you know, you need a certain level of dedication and just an environment to be in a certain way before you can, you know, help your 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 world to thrive. We decided to relocate, you know, but I didn't want to relocate to Europe or America because I always have this, I have a strong passion for film and I feel like you go out there, then you kind of forget about it. You forget about that ambition because, you know, you're not in an environment where you're basically just trying to survive. And you have to do like five jobs and stuff like that. So I didn't want to do all that. And we kind of scouted African countries that seemed ideal for us to invest in. And we, we found Ghana to be the most ideal place for us. Uh, first of all, it was an environment where there's a sense of patriotism and black consciousness. Um, and proximity-wise, it's close to Nigeria, you know. And that takes a lot of investment as well. So <clears throat> a lot of things that I've been hoping we could use to like kickstart my project, we kind of now redirected our investments and funding into relocation. So fortunately, we did that June of 2021. And it was like, okay, we're here now. Let's see how things are going to play out. Then um, three months later, I get a call. I get a call from Ebony Life Creative Academy. Well, they are looking for someone to take over the directing department. And it was kind of like serendipity because 
I was in that phase of, besides the whole developing and you know trying to rediscover myself, I was I was still a bit disillusioned because it was becoming very apparent that for you to make a good film, it's it, and not just necessarily because that good film is relative, but to make the kind of film I wanted to make, I needed to collaborate with the right people. I needed to collaborate with people who are art inclined, who are film versed, who are knowledgeable in the technical art and craft of film. And not to be condescending in any fashion, because I had been in the space long enough, I knew what was, what was, what was, what was attainable in the, in the Nollywood space. And it, it, it just felt like it couldn't, it couldn't get me what I wanted. So I was a bit disillusioned as well. And because it's not just about money, but it's about, it's about why are we making this thing? You know, and I, and, I, and I feel like a lot of us, we kind of misconstrue that because we're first and foremost trying to survive. And, and when we are trying to survive, passion is not necessarily what drives you. It is the desire or the need to survive. And you can start overlooking things. And, and the great films like the great filmmakers who I hold in high regard, when I read about them and I watch their movies, there's, a, there's an impeccable level of attention to detail, which is, which is, really, which is really hard to come by in the Nigerian space. Likewise, there is always a distinction in their vocabulary, their visual vocabulary. And I watched Nigerian films and I'm watching them and they all seem to look the same. And that was a big worry for me. So living as well, besides it being, oh, we need to relocate for family and future purposes. It was me taking that big leap of faith to disassociate myself in a way from the Nollywood structure and focus on the kind of films I wanted to make. So like my project that I've been working on, I've been able to get like French collaborators, French co-producers, you know, I took it for some pitching and, you know, I'm getting one person here, I'm getting one person there. So currently I have three French co-producers who are interested in my project, who constantly review my log line and my outline because we had a script, we've submitted it for several funding and grants, we didn't get it, but, you know, we get reviews and it's just a process, like, you know, even going through that route where you can spend probably six to seven years making one film. And I was okay with it, and I am okay with it. And good thing is, you know, since September 2021, where I started my work with Ebon Life, that has been like a financial cushion. But at the same time, I'm in an environment where I'm getting to learn, relearn, unlearn, again you know so there are a lot of things it goes back to the kind of filmmaker i am who is first and foremost a researcher like who appreciates film theory and film analysis and being in an environment where i can really like invest in developing myself in that as well as you know the technical art of filmmaking and um, fortunately i was able to make a feature film again do not mind that for the same studio that made sylvia and 
I could see how a lot of what I'd learned in those years and my new experience at the Bonin Life, all that you know, came into play in the way I executed the future film. So I'm quite excited with what, what the film would look like, how people will respond to it, good or bad. But I am, I am, I feel confident about what 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 I've made with it, and I'm really looking forward to how people respond to it. Nice. So, um, I mean, in a recent interview, you know, you talked about this um, break you had to take to realign yourself with why you love filmmaking and the kind of stories you want to tell. So, why why do you love filmmaking? Um. Wow, that's an interesting question. So I would, I would start with why I love film. I love film because it's a reflection of the human experience. Like being a troubled kid and, you know, getting recovering from my experiences growing up, film was the respite for me. Film was my escape. Film was a reflection of, I could see people who were like me. I think it was the most empathic art form and the most relatable for me, whereby you could see characters who are who are plagued with issues, who have to deal with, you know, you know, overcome surmounting challenges to excel. So, so that was interesting for me. I, I always saw myself in characters, and I wanted I wanted people to have that experience. I wanted to give people that experience as well, because as much as foreign film were accessible or inaccessible at the time, they were not like reflections of us. Yeah. You know, you had to you had to sieve out a, a European film and say, okay, I kind of sense how this thing works in my situation. So at the time it just felt like I wasn't seeing enough Nigerian films that, you know, worked in that structure. And this is no disregard for Nollywood per se in its early early days, you know, but what Nollywood was doing at the time was still like a kind of, you know, collage, caricature-ish rendition of what American films were. And they served the purpose in our identity, but I didn't necessarily align with it. So I wanted to make films that, for me, would align with people who are dealing with my kind of situation or growing, growing up in a society where you are seen as a misfit. Yeah. And that's what informed my, my first feature film, like a misfit. You know, it was like, that was a recurring word growing up. Like you are not, you are not good enough, you know, you know, and I wanted to make films that reflect the trials and, and wins of misfits. Yeah. So that's why I started making films. And and being on set, it's hectic. Like I, I'm not really a fan of filmmaking again in, in terms of, you know, I want to be on set every day. Like, no, because it's hectic. And there's so much more intellectual work put into it than people think there is. Um, just the whole concept of pre-production and what that truly entails, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why that's why I love filmmaking. That's why I still make films. That's why I want to make certain kinds of film. But I know at the same time that I don't want to be on set every day. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You talked about um, 
you know, being a tutor at um, a Bonnie Life Creative Academy and how this is kind of helping you, you know, in, you know, kind of updating your skills as a filmmaker. What what are some of these things that you do on a day-to-day basis that, you know, kind of helps you improve your understanding of films, your crafts? So um, I'll just give more context of the course I do. So it's an 11-week course where we teach directing for film and television. And during the 11-week course, we get to do two major practical works. Um, one on one that just encompasses a scene, like, you know, shooting a script to scene and or screen. Um, then we have one that is a short film, a five-minute short film that, you know, it's like, that's like the project that every student in the, in the academy must be part of. So it's interesting because like the first three weeks, the first two weeks, we are doing more like film theory, film analysis, film history. Yeah. And that's on, that on a three-month basis reminds me of why I love film. Because I get to now go back and review the history of cinema, where it started from. And, you know, I pick like a particular filmmaker to invest in during a particular session by investing in a filmmaker because I am, I tell my students that you cannot learn filmmaking in 11 weeks. However, you can develop the characteristics of a filmmaker. You can have an insight of what a filmmaker does, how a filmmaker thinks. So I always like pick a filmmaker who we can, you know, I can use as kind of the basis. So like last, last intake, which ended um, two weeks ago, I focused primarily on, um, I won't say focus primarily, but these were filmmakers. I wanted them to understand how detailed they were and how they invested themselves in productions. Yeah. And I focused on, I focused on Stanley Kubrick and uh, David Fincher. And David Fincher is a student of Stanley Kubrick, you know, which is basically know it all. Yeah. Know every process in filmmaking, be involved because it is your vision and you need to have a strong vision that can influence and, you know, wow the people you want to make the film with. Because, uh, it's one thing to it's one thing to have a vision. It's one thing for that vision to inspire others yeah. to want to do it for you. You know, so from scripting, we're going to production design, we're going to cinematography. Basically, we kind of touch all the departments, all the basic departments that make a film work, from scripting to the final film. So we focus on pre-production, production, and post-production. So in post-production, for instance. We are working with the editors. We are working with sound designers. You know, we're working with graphic artists, the CGI people, the color gradists and all that stuff. For the director to understand how that vision that you had or idea has to end up, you know, being manifested. And the manifestation and the compilation of that manifestation takes place in post-production. So in pre-production, you begin to understand the role of the production designer, how the production designer sets up and creates the world that you're trying to do, how you should be involved in understanding that world, you know, working with actors, which is one of my biggest callings, you know. So we do a lot of uh, exercises with actors, 
how to interpret scripts, how to communicate with actors. Uh, then um, we do cinematography, which is like, that's the first thing everybody's like fascinated about when they got to film. So it's always interesting how they didn't know about production design or the concept of you know being able to articulate your vision clearly for your team and interact with, with your actors. Those are things that a lot of us don't necessarily take into are not we don't prioritize. We just think about the shots. Or we have let's get an RE65. Let's shoot what we want to shoot. But you're watching the films and you're like, eh, they still they still they don't look like the cameras they shot because a camera is still dependent on somebody operating it. Yeah. The camera doesn't say what it wants to shoot. You still have to point some the camera to shoot, you know. And we try to make people understand that you literally have to build a wall. Right, and and that world is encompassing of characters, music, uh, set design, and every other thing that makes a film work. So just doing that regularly now, every I get to do it once every three months because my course runs for eleven weeks. You know, it's kind of like a constant refresher. For instance, even with all the experience I had and all that, and I've been doing, and I teach this all the time about you know like certain scenes that you know, they are complex and technical. It's good to do a storyboard, you know. And the film I just shot with these people, with the trainer guys, I just realized that there was a particular scene. I had a short list, I, I had everything, but I didn't go with the storyboard. And every time we've been watching, I've been watching the film, like during post-production, though it came out all right, but it would have been so much better, you know, it would have been so much better if I just took that time to do a storyboard you know, but it was it was a very complicated situation I found myself in because I was teaching and at the same time I was doing prep for the film. So it was I've been in that situation before because I think when I was doing Taxi Driver, I was equally shooting a TV series for Africa Magic. So I would shoot a TV series during the day and I would go and shoot Taxi Driver at night, you know. So I've been in that situation where you are kind of juggling like two projects at the same time, you know. So yeah. It's a constant refresher of how I should embark my embark on a project that I really love. At the same time, get an identity, understand the kind of filmmaker I am, embrace my embrace my flaws. You know, be vulnerable because vulnerability is one of the things that people can smell a mile off. And you know, actors especially love directors who are vulnerable. You know, because actors are naturally vulnerable people. You know, so all those things, they, they, they all kind of have shaping the way I'm now approaching filmmaking and constantly do appreciate. And, and yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Um, so this vulnerability thing, um, how, how do you, um, you know, show your vulnerability to the point that the actors don't kind of trample over you or take it for granted? Well, well, the truth about it is you can't really say it's like somebody falls in love with somebody, right? You fall in love, they, you don't, they are not, they are, you don't hold anything back, per se. You don't say, oh, let me not give you, let me not give you 100% love because there's a possibility that you might break my heart, you know? Um, but for me, the way I approach vulnerability is that I just try to show that I'm really invested in the project. And I'm invested in the well-being of the person who is going to interpret the film. So those are things that I try and make very clear from the onset. And one thing I do about vulnerability is that I just listen more. I just ask questions. I ask a lot of questions. I want to know so much about people. Sometimes my people around me, like my wife, like 
why do I want to? Why do I asking very personal questions and stuff like that? Like, yeah, because I need, I need, I need, I need to know. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a curious. I'm curious in that kind of way. I want to know more about people and, and the way they think and how their history has shaped or their background has shaped the way they see life. So, I did that for. I've done that actually to some extent for all the films that I've done whereby I go and meet the actors, we talk, we spend time together, talk about every and anything. And, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if I have a peculiar way I go about it, but I just try as much as possible to be organic. It's like doing an interview and, you know, you pick something up and you, your next question is, inf is informed by you know a previous comment by somebody so i just kind of like you know and i'm just going and i'm going and i'm going and i find out that you know i've been able to get i've been able to get some good feedback and some good response by doing that especially with actors i work with yeah you know i've been able to get that and and sometimes it works you know most times it's worked sometimes it hasn't worked and i'm just like okay it's not working with this person that's fine you know but most times it has worked and I'm just grateful for the fact that, yeah, that's where it's been so far. But I, I've heard stories, I've seen situations and let me be, let me be honest. It's not like I do that for every actor I'm working with. I'm, 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 I primarily do that for like my major cast, yeah. you know, and especially like projects I'm very sensitive about, you know, I'm trying to get to know you more, trying to see how we can tap into your own personal traits and use that to manifest the characterization for the work. And stuff like that. So I'm not, I'm not particular about being conscious or cautious of, you know, how that vulnerability will be interpreted by people. Yeah, and I mean, this vulnerability is one aspect of how you communicate with the actors. What other um, tools do you employ, like you know, trying to communicate your idea, your vision, with the actor? Um. So another thing I try to do is because I'm a film, I'm a film theorist and, and I'm a film researcher, I I usually like give them a list of movies or actors to explore. You know, and I always feel like that's another way to challenge the mind of an of a creative and say, oh, do you know about this French actor or this Chinese actor? Right. And and there's something about the uniqueness in the way they interpret themselves. And that's another interesting thing for me is because, um, so I really watch, I really watch Hollywood films now because um, I think I've, I've had my fair share of Hollywood movies. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's an exaggeration and there's a grandiosity about American movies, which is larger than life in my opinion. But at the same time, Americans, well, some Americans are larger than life, especially African-Americans, no pun intended. But, you know, I started exploring cinema from other parts of the world. And for the past, like, six, seven months, I've just been focused on Southeast Asian cinema. And I've been doing a lot of Taiwanese, Japanese, South Korean, Indonesian, Chinese, you know, and there's a different mannerism in the way they, they, they tell their stories, in the way they in the way they express themselves as actors. And, and I find it very amusing. I find it very intriguing because they're kind of very slow, quiet, 
soft move. And I'm like, I want my actors to actually kind of have something like that in in way, but not in a way that it feels so out of place. Yeah. But I I feel because you know we in this part of the world we were very we are very theatrical in performance and exposition, and and that's because of our history in, in the exposure of cinema and all that. It's very TBS. It's very theater oriented. People like Herbert and they started from theater literally and yeah. moved into film. So that has really shaped the way we interpret, you know, uh, motion picture and how it is expressed. And I'm trying as much as possible to say, you know what, you can be yourself. Like, you don't have to raise your voice. You don't have to scream all the time, you know, and stuff like that. Like, you can be subtle, depending on the character you're playing now, because it'd be a lie for me to say a typical market woman of some sort, you know be subtle you know what i mean yeah you know it's still it's going to be a reflection of that society that i i felt like we can internalize a lot more as actors so i i give them a lot of films to watch um yeah i do a lot of film i do a lot of uh, i do a lot of um maybe i give them like articles to read you know then do a lot of talking and just watching films together, I did that a lot with with Zena Balogun. We would watch a lot of films. I'll give her a lot of films to watch. I did that as well with um, the, the actor I just worked with for the film I just shot, um, whereby you know watch these movies, just watch it for performance. And I see how their their eyes light up because a lot of them didn't necessarily you know they've not explored cinema the way I have. Uh, and they never knew of, you know, certain actors in different clients. And I'm like, no, like, you have to because you're an actor. You know what I mean? Like, you have to know what is happening in Spain. <laughs> you have to know, you have to know the great filmmakers of Spain and and anywhere in the world, South America. For instance, like, I watch Brazilian movies and there's this fast, like, yeah, it's like, it's literally like they're not acting. It's like they're just living. Mm. It's so effortless in performance, like, uh, um, there's a particular there's a particular filmmaker called Mendenko Mendenko Fijo. So I saw he did a film called Baracal, um, Aquarius, and Neighboring Sound. And these films were just amazing, amazing delight to watch. And it's just because of performance, because performance is so sublime, so subtle, so powerful, and and those things kind of like really draw me into cinema, you know. So I do that with my actors as well, whereby I'm exposing them to filmmakers and actors that they don't necessarily know about. And that really like challenges them as well. Like, okay, there's, there's this director wants something different, so to speak. And that informs the way they work with me. All right, so at this point, um, can you mention three random facts about yourself that not many people know? Ah, um... I think I have more happening in my head than, you know, than actually physically manifesting it. So films are like that outlet for me to manifest the craziness that is inside my head. Yeah. <laughs> or the madness that is inside my head. Well, um, I was, wow. I have nothing to say that is interesting. But so apart from researching, what other hobbies do you have? I, I unfortunately I have none. <laughs> I'm a very domesticated person. I'm Do you a very like cooking? Person in the morning. 
yes, like I do a lot of cleaning, I do a lot of washing. I wake up in the morning, I do my I do my I started exercising when okay, I started exercising when I was in 2019. That's mm-hmm. a fun thing, right? Uh, because I was a triple size or double size. Uh my wife, my wife was in uh, was in um, Belgium at the time. She was shooting a film. So I was with her and my daughter. And we were just eating nonstop because yeah, what you do, you sit at home, yeah. just cook, eat. So I came back and I was like, <laughs> you know, and I was like, no, I have to change my lifestyle. And I started working out, you know, and I've been on that journey now since 2019. And that has been an interesting journey because I have gone through phases of, you know, losing weight, gaining it back, um, having muscle strains, you know. But what it has really done for me is it has really like built up my my esteem because I look at myself in the mirror, I'm like, wow, you look great. Yeah. You know, so I'm kind of being, I think I'm kind of being, if that's that's okay. So I look at myself like every time in the mirror, I'm like, ah, is this belly protruded again and all that. So I mm. suck it in, I'm doing jobs and you know. So I think that's something you know, I just I just mentioned it without even knowing. So I do a yeah. lot of exercises. I do a lot of exercises. There was a time I recorded it, my I was recording my journey. Like the first two years, I was doing a lot of posting on social media about my journey. Then I just got tired of posting it, but I, I still try to work out frequently. I work out frequently. Unfortunately, I've not been doing that since I returned to Ghana because Ghana is more like recharge. And I don't want to stress myself with doing exercise. And my yeah. daughter is going to be nine. She doesn't see me often. So I'm just spending as much time as possible with her. Nigeria and Hollywood is, is, is not necessarily nice to newcomers. You know, um, again, you have to make a living. How can young people navigate this industry? So the truth about it is that it's it's never been and will never be easy. Do you understand? Like what people don't understand is like I remember when I wanted to make my first feature film and I had done the project and everything came to four million naira. Okay, find the four million naira now. It was now like nobody had the four million naira, spare four million naira to give somebody. And the person who came to my rescue at the time, after a lot of talking, because she equally wasn't very, very happy with my decision to be a filmmaker, was my mother. Mm. So we were able to convince her, and she she gave me a loan of four hundred thousand naira to shoot my film, because I told her I needed four million. She said she doesn't have four million, but she has four hundred k. Then I felt that was a great win. And I took that 400,000 naira and just started doing pre-production. I started having prep meetings. I started doing stuff like I had the money. And for some reason, I was able to attract, you know, some other people who came in with investments. And we had, I think we shot the film for like 1.8 or 1.6. But we shot the film and that there was a lot of things I had to like reorganize, like set, the setting. So the film initially was more elaborate that, you know, with all the, challenges of raising funds and all that i had to sit down and rewrite and we made the film like happening in uh percent of the film happens in in a, in a room so that made it easier for us to you know so um i i don't think it's ever easy i don't think it has ever been easy because i've been reading articles about filmmakers trying to do their first film and it has never been easy you know but the thing is you you have to do something and before they used to say, oh, you, you need to make a short film. A short film is like your calling card and all that stuff. But now everywhere, everywhere you go, there's a short film to see, you know, and, and, and short films don't necessarily have that appeal. 
because the idea of the short film was short films go for festivals, right? Yeah. And if you're invited for this festival, you get to meet other filmmakers, you get to meet film financiers, you get to meet film marketers and all that stuff. Now that's, and you go to those film festivals with your short film, but you have an idea for a future film, right? So when you are like collecting accolades for short films and somebody walks up to you and say, what do you want to do next? Yeah, you say, oh, this is the future I want to do. So that was the calling card per se. But now short films don't have that kind of, because now you don't have tons of film festivals, those that are renowned, those that are obscure, those that just come out from nowhere and, and you know and people get fascinated that oh we won an award and i'm like no that's forget about that like you you've gotten something but that's not that's just what you need to go to the next level the next level is you make a feature film and truth 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 be told nobody's going to give you money to make that feature film you have to make it yourself and it's harder now because of economics and all that but at the same time i think it's easier now because things are more accessible and there's a democratization of the filmmaking experience, be it from editing softwares to the kind of cameras you can use to sound devices. Things are so much easier now, like so much easier than what it was 10 years ago. You know, so people can decide like, you know what, we're going to make a film that looks like a TikTok video. You know, you can come up with this kind of inventive ideas on how to do stuff. And the country is getting harder, but the country that I know has never been easy. You know what I mean? It's yeah. never been great to say, okay, we have everything. There's never, like, I, I don't think anybody born in the 90s can remember a time when Nigeria was great. That's, no, you can't. There's just, there was never a time that Nigeria was great. So you've always been in this situation of, of lack of deficiencies and stuff. So that can't be an excuse. So the idea, and what I always tell my people is that you need to collaborate. That's another thing especially a lot of people in film school. So I tell them like, look, what we're doing is we're setting you guys up to, to determine your own fate. So you don't need, you don't need to have a certain amount of money. You don't need to pay for certain people, you know, come together and, and make a film. Another thing I'm trying to make people understand is that not everybody can be a director, you know, I think that's the misconception every filmmaker or aspiring filmmaker has. They want to be film, they want to be directors. And I'm like, that's not the only aspect of filmmaking, you know, that that's not the only uh, job description. We don't have a lot of production designers, for instance. Yeah. We don't have a lot of VFX people. We don't have a lot of stunt coordination. We don't have a lot of, you know, so there are so many places that, you know, you can actually like invest in and become very dominant and in demand. So that's another thing like we, we keep saying. And and to a very large extent, like, you know, a lot of people from Ebony Life have started coming together, screenwriters, directors, you know, trying to form like a, you know, a, 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 a kind of uh, collective of some sort whereby they can make films together. And I'm like, yeah, that's the way to go. You know, uh, we can't all be directors. That's another truth. We can't all be directors. And directing is, is even the hardest because I make people understand that a director works less than, you know, when I mean less, in terms of frequency, mm. you know, a director will not work in the same frequency as a cinematographer. A cinematographer can do probably 10 projects or, or more in a year, and a director might do just one because the director has to see a project from its infancy phase all the way to, and that takes 
months like you know we just we've been editing for three months for instance um the film i just finished and i know my cinematographer because we're always in constant talk oh i'm on this set oh i'm on that set oh my god he's doing work he's doing commercials he's doing stuff you know so people need to understand that you know being a director might seem like the most interesting phase or the most interesting job description but it's actually one of the hardest and one of the most uh mentally challenging ones to be in because you have to as well as endure so much of the weight, so much of the good, so much of the bad, you know, and that's, that's a lot for people. Yeah. So how, how do you balance um, a strong vision and, you know, leaving room for collaboration? Okay. How do you balance that? So for me, I, I think it's important as a director that, you know, that vision, that strong vision you have, you you really invest time in showing it to your collaborators. By doing that, um, so basically, like, first thing, maybe you have a director's treatment, you know, you're, you, you, you have to try and make an extensive director's treatment as a director, whereby you have thought of every possible thing that, that you need, you know, to make the film. So when you do that and you present that to your collaborators, it, it kind of makes them see how much you've invested in your ideas. And that challenges them. I feel it challenges the great ones yeah. to want to surpass that. And, and that's, that's the idea. Like, oh, I have this. Um, I've thought about this, I've thought about that, I've thought about this scenario, I've thought about how the costumes will look, I've thought about how based on this. And as much as you can invest in that, you know, you won't know as much as the cinematographer or the production designer or the editor because that's their jurisdiction. That's what they do, you know. And, and the great ones would always, like, step up to the game and be like, okay, you came up with this, okay, I think if we add this and this and this, it makes it stronger. And because I am... First and foremost, I think I am very liberal as an individual. And I talk about, I spoke about vulnerability and all that. I, I'm kind of, maybe I'm saying too many, I'm giving myself too much credit, but I think I have a very humanistic perspective. So I'm very open to collaboration. I'm very open to people's inputs. However, I know for a fact that I need to set the ball rolling by having a very comprehensive treatment. You know, that takes time. That takes a lot of investment in terms of research and all that. And because of my background in film analysis, film theory, film history, film research, you know, it has become like a natural pastime for me to invest a lot in that preparation that I'm going to present to my would-be collaborators. So because I feel when you do that, it only enhances your vision. It can't, it can't contradict it because you have a clear vision, so to speak. So people have to come into the game. And because we live in an environment where a lot of people don't necessarily walk in that headspace, um, um, it's just a mentality thing, in my opinion. Um, but you try the best you can do. You know, you try the best you can do. You give the best you can give. Same for actors, for instance, like how I said, I, I show them movies, I, I speak to them about actors. I'm equally showing my cinematographer, you know, podcasts. And that's why I said, like, for instance, your podcast is one I'd listen to. 
a few episodes because I do a lot of podcasts as well. Um, so you do podcasts, you do videos online, articles online, reviews of movies, BTS videos. I do all that. I send them stuff to make them be like, this is what we're trying to do. Like the, I, I even remember that. Okay, so I have a cinematographer I've been working with since, uh, since film school. His name is um, uh, Idebob Bishop Cargo. So we shot, we shot, uh, he shot my student short film, my, my thesis short film. Um, he shot Sylvia and we just worked again. So interestingly, we've always had like a six-year, uh, a six-year period in between our collaborations, and mm-hmm. we have grown during this period. And um, I found out that every time I work with him, I always go about showing him a lookbook. You know, so I always have like a visual lookbook, and this has been primarily informed by you know that whole experience I had with a photojournalist being mentored by a photojournalist whereby I had to do a lot of research on photography first and foremost and see what makes a good photograph and you know that can influence the way you tell films because films are moving photographs right yeah and I always have that lookbook I even found out that when we worked in my first short film in 20 2009 I actually did a, uh, a storyboard. I actually did a storyboard and I showed him the film. So I drew a comic and that was one of my pastimes. I used to draw comics when I was younger yeah. and sell them. Because when I watch a film, I would do a comic for the film and try and sell it in school. Sometimes when I'm on holidays, during summer holidays, because we didn't used to travel for summer holidays, we used to spend it at home. So I would take A4 papers from my dad's office and I would try and draw comics of the films that I really loved during the holidays. And I used to do it as my uh, on my own, like just do it on my own. And for some reason, my, my elder sister, who is a doctor, she walked up to me one day and she was like, why don't I ever finish my comic? Because she really loves them. And I was so moved because I was doing these things for myself at some point, you know what I mean? Mm. And I started having fun with my immediate, and that now boosted my, my, my confidence to want to even make them and sell them. So... So those things happen, you know, those, those things happen. I, I knew very well, like I needed to do like visual lookbooks um, for what I wanted to interpret. And it's been a very, it's been like that. Taxi Driver, I had a lookbook. Sylvia, I had a lookbook. Um, this particular film, I had a lookbook. Um, I do a lot of short lists. I do a lot of you know descriptive stuff and now i'm trying to expand it into post-production into music like i'm doing a music sound sound map for a film for a sound designer you know i'm 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 doing all that because i want to and it's it's interesting because when you do that you find out that especially in this climb like a lot of people don't do that right a lot of filmmakers don't do that and a lot of collaborators appreciate when somebody does that because it kind of gives them a more, you know, a more uh, straight perspective of what they are supposed to be working on. Yeah, and and I feel like that's why a lot of our films are struggling with that visual visual resemblance 
like you watch a Nollywood film now, it looks like you've seen it a thousand times. It, it just has the same compositions, the same blocking, the same lighting, the same everything. Hmm. And, you know, so I try as much as possible to do all that thing. And over time, you know, there's a place of, as a filmmaker, working with the same people because it's easier. Because for if you are, if you have to change collaborators for every project, you have to learn how to work with them every time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there are certain people that are very key. There are certain people that are very key. Like your editor is very key. Who edits you, who you work, who you collaborate with in editing. That's why there are filmmakers who have been working with the same editors for like tons of years. Because that's the person who is trying to stick your vision together. It's very important the person understands your headspace. But at the same time, the person is bringing something that you equally appreciate. The cinematographer is super important. You know, I've not, I've, so I've had good collaborations with editors and cinematographers. That besides that, I, I found, I recently found a costume designer, um, a guy named Elvis, if I'm correct. Amazing in every sense of the word. You know, I'm still in search for an ideal production designer because. Uh, that are ideal and affordable. Unfortunately, the great ones are kind of hard to reach yeah. because they are so invested in, in commercials and, you know, that that's a lot of money. So I'm trying as much as possible to see how I can, you know, have people around me that understand the way I want to articulate my vision. It's very important. It's very, very important. And that helps you, you know, to collaborate in the way you, you feel collaboration should take place. Okay. Um, let's say you were stuck on a deserted island and you had one film that you you'll be happy to keep rewatching. What's that film going to be? One film, just one film. Just one. Okay, the film that comes to mind is Apocalypse Now. Um, it, it was done by Francis Ford Coppola. Um, it's a about a soldier who has to go into the Vietnam, into the depths of Vietnam to, to kill a, a renegade American colonel who had gone mad. So it's based on Joseph Conrad's Hearts of Darkness, if I'm correct. Yeah. Um, it's one of those films that wowed me for its Americanism, but at the same time, I was amazed by the storytelling technique. Um, I think that was that was... Francis Focus. So people know Coppola for the Godfather series, but Apocalypse Now, in my opinion, is a masterpiece in every aspect of the world. So I think that's one film that I might carry because I have seen it every year since I saw it. Um, if for some inexplicable reason I can't find that film, hmm. Or I didn't carry that film, or the film suddenly has been deleted from human existence. Yeah. Then I might carry an anime, um, Akira. I don't know if you've ever heard of Akira. Yeah. It tells you why Japanese anime is a strong contender in the cinema, in the cinematic space. It's ambitious, it's wild, it's fun, it's gritty. The music is amazing. You know, the effects for the time were just amazing. It's one of those... I tried I tried showing it to my daughter. Yeah. You know, where she was like, oh. <laughs> she was like, oh, because I saw it when I was like... I saw it when I was like 12 or 11 and I was mesmerized by it. Yeah. By what a cartoon could be. 
because before then it's all Walt Disney, Walt Disney, fun, fun. And I, I was seeing a cartoon where they were like literally hauling bullets on somebody. And I was like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So that stayed strong in my consciousness. So I watch that film every year as well. So it could be either Apocalypse Now or Akira. Okay. Um, you mentioned that your daughter is artistically inclined. Um, what are some ways that you, you know try to encourage her? So since she was three, she has been doing ballet, or she started doing ballet when she was three. Um, started doing performance arts when she was three. Um, so every weekend, Saturdays, we take her to a dancing drama school, performance arts school. We've been doing that consistently, and we still do that till this very day in Ghana. So she's currently doing drama, dance, um, uh, performance, and music. So she's invested in those, and she she attends the school every weekend. Um, so she's featured in some feature films now. It's featured in some commercials. Uh, yeah, so she does a lot of books. So she's in a lot of reading reading clubs. She does a lot of books. I read I read a lot to her when she was a kid, um, and I've noticed that that has like really inspired the way she articulates story. Yeah, and she loves she loves uh, literature now. She reads a lot. Um, I equally introduced her to anime. Fortunately, Netflix was one of those streaming sites that had anime, some interesting animes like Evangelion. I exposed that very early. I'm sure that has really that has really worked ahead in some way, you know. But yeah, so I'm doing a lot of anime for her, just so she can see what the world is a bigger place. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and she can really impact herself so she doesn't do ballet anymore she doesn't do ballet anymore because we're not able to get a good ballet school in 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 ghana in accra but she does dance she does performance art every weekend okay nice um what's the name of your the film you're currently in post-production for it's called the weekend and it's um I can't give much, but it's about a couple that, you know, go on a retreat and, you know, they go visiting a family at a retreat and just go haywire from there. It's your usual, it's your usual, uh, uh, it's a, it's a usual premise. It's, it's, it's a known premise because you know it has to have that mainstream appeal that I, I tried as much as possible to try and infuse a lot of my influences now yeah you know and styles just give it this authenticity of some sort so the music is very deliberate very because the costumes is very and it's not like shouting in your face afrocentric afrocentric because yeah. another thing we didn't want to do because of the controversial nature of the film we didn't want to attribute it to a specific tribe or ethnicity. Hmm. You know, so that we took a lot of references and, you know, just try and turn it around to make it very appealing. And visually and performance-wise, I think it's great. It's tied to the weekend. Okay. Any projected release date? 
Um, at the moment, we are trying to get it finished with post-production before end of April because we want to take it for festival, um, which is something I, I really I really commend from them because I was I was hoping that they would see the potential of the film traveling for festivals, especially now that there's this big interest in Nigerian film. You know, I think in the past 10 years, there has always been like that curiosity of what Nollywood film is. Yeah. And a lot of Nollywood films were invited and put in a unique category, right? To say, oh, you, you want to know about these films they make in Nigeria called Nollywood where they come around. But now in the past like two, three years, I think with the... Um, What's that film? A more fair. Yeah. A more fair. Um, yeah, from that a more fair. You know, Nigerian films are having some kind of critical acclaim, and yeah. now that you had um, CJ's work and uh, the other work that won at the Bellinale this year, you know, yeah. there's been this resurgence of some sort of or rather this renaissance, let's use renaissance, that's a sweeter word, the renaissance of the Nollywood film industry, film, you know, in the international space. So no doubt, who doesn't want to be recognized beyond your immediate space? A one-night one king is a blind man, right? That's how they say, they say one-night man is the king, of, the king in a blind kingdom. Yeah. So you aspire to see and to be seen. So I'm happy that they want to send it for festivals throughout this year. So they are going for the major festivals to see the possibility of it making one or two selections before we can now have a release of some sort or, you know, a a, a stream premiere or something. But I think it's one of those films that it can do well both internationally and locally. Okay. Well done. Um, yeah. So can... You talk about like in Nollywood has some issues. Nollywood is trying to grow in different ways. What do you think? What aspect do you think we can, you know, um, focus on improving? I think everywhere. I think primarily script. I think scripting needs to improve. I think the nature of scripts and the way we write needs to improve. First and foremost, that can only improve if writers are giving their due, their due uh, recognition and respect, because um, um, scripts are what make films. It's storytelling, you know. So it starts with what's the story, and I think that's one aspect that needs to really improve how we tell stories. So that they they work both ways. I think it's very important that we tell stories that work both ways because yeah. we see how how cultures have been you know cultures have been um, have impacted us through film. You, you know, people grow a lot of people grew up watching Indian, Chinese, and all those Hong Kong movies and American movies, and that impacted something about them and how they saw those people. Yeah. And I feel like we can make films that can impact the next generation, you know, to see the African identity because you don't necessarily see more that, you know, reflect that African identity in a contemporary setting. Very few, very, very few. 
but there's always room because the African identity is a is a multi mix of ethnicities and and stuff. So I feel scripting is one of those things that we can really really invest in. Just how to write a script, how to tell a story that is that is fresh, that is original, that is not trying to be a reflection or or, or um, a mimic of what is already there. I think that's very very important. Um, I think production design is something that we've not really invested in in this country. I think we have like one or two people, Pat Nibor, and there's a guy called Uche. Very, very few. We have a lot of art directors, not necessarily production designers, because production designers, they oversee the whole artistic point of the film. Mm. I think that's something that needs to, to relatively improve. Um, I think filmmakers need to understand you know, the importance of other aspects of filmmaking, not just I want to be a director or I want to be a writer. Like if we take if we take full um if we take full awareness of how we make how music, for instance, sound design, how those things influence the whole experience of filmmaking. I think that's something that can really help to push our narratives forward as well. Yeah. So there's so many aspects that I feel like you know, we need to we need to have a clear understanding of how all these things come together to make one coherent film. Um, I feel at the moment what we what we are really crazy about, and 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 permit me to just be a bit critical. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're all critical by nature, you know. But I feel like, and I know that you know, a lot of people's exposure to Hollywood, for instance, wasn't necessarily the movies. You know, it was it was more about the glam culture, about you know, the red carpet razzmatazz of Hollywood. That's what really drew a lot of people into wanting to be filmmakers and actors. And I feel like that's a big shame because film is an art form. It's a commercial art form. It's, it's yeah, you can make a lot of money doing it. But it's an art form. It's, it's a form of storytelling. And there are, so many, there are so many elements that make it. And I think what really impacted me growing up was while I was watching Steven Spielberg movies, you know, there were always like BTSs and analysis of his films. So I was seeing that, and that's how I knew who Spielberg was because he was like, he kept a beard, he always wore a face cap, he looked very, he had this boyish, boyish nature to him, mm-hmm. but, you know, based in man's body, you know, very in tune with his childhood. And I'm like, okay, now I see who a filmmaker is. Like, filmmaker is somebody who has a spark. You know, and I think that that's that's something that we need to reignite in us that call ourselves filmmakers. We need to re- reignite that creative spark. That I want to tell a story. I want to tell a story. I want to tell a story visually. You know, I, I think that's one thing that is missing that can be improved upon. But at the same time, it's a bit of a challenge because we're now in a social media era where people just want to show success. People just want to show how they are thriving. Yeah. As against the process of doing things right, so there's a lot that needs to happen. I I hope because that yeah, all these things. Okay, so um, where can people you know keep up with you and your work? Like you have social media. Okay. Um, I have social media. Yeah, I have um Instagram. Unfortunately, uh, I only do stories now on Instagram. So I have been a bit a bit a bit detached from 
participating in social media, though I definitely scroll through my phone every day. But, you know, participating in that aspect hasn't been, you know, a big deal. I think I might only be doing that when I actually have a project to promote. Yeah. So, so, so for now, I am looking forward to the weekend. You know, once the weekend is out this year, I can start being active again on social media, primarily Instagram and Facebook. Um, I'm, 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 I've tried to be a Twitter, but you know, all these things are all synchronized now, so you can do all the same thing at the same time. So hopefully I can do that when the weekend comes out. Um, but I have a lot of TV work on Iroko TV. Um, I have a lot of web web series on Danny TV and TNC. Um, I've done stuff for those people on a different level. Um, Sylvia is on Amazon. Tati Java is on Amazon. Uh, Misfit is somewhere in the hard drive <laughs> being contemplated yeah. for release, re-release because uh, it's going to be 10 years this November. So I'm thinking to do a release of some sort in November. Okay. Looking forward to that. Same here. Yeah. Um, Thanks, Daniel, for coming on The Niger Filmmaker. Thank you so much for having me. We have come to the end of this episode. Remember to rate and review the podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Selegal Film and the podcast at The Niger Film Pod to share your feedback. You can now support the podcast by visiting the website to donate. See you on the next episode. Have a good one.